Hello, this is Tim Rausenberger with BrassTenor.com. Today is Friday, September 1st, 2017. This is episode 72. The first four lessons on a musical instrument. This is going to be one of my favorite episodes because I'm so passionate when it comes to the initial lessons for beginning students. There are few things that excite me more because I love the joy that students have making their first sounds, understanding the instrument, the rapid improvement, the growth, everything that's associated and also the struggles and the adversity with playing an instrument and trying to improve. This was a challenging episode because there was part of me that wanted to just talk about the first lesson. Then another part of me said, nah, the first two lessons. And then I was saying, well, no, maybe I should do the first two months. And I kind of hemmed and hawed because I've had a lot of teachers, a lot of teachers who've asked me over the years, you know, what do you do in the first lesson? Or where should the students be after two months? And I really think that the answer is for, for this type of advice, it should be in the first four lessons. And I'm not going to, you're not going to hear today, you're not going to hear me say lesson one, lesson two, lesson three, lesson four, this is what should be happening in each one. That's not what this is going to be about. And the reason why is that every single situation is different. Every school district is different. Some have pull-out lessons where they're being pulled from their classes, their academic classes in most cases. Others will have lessons that occur during recess periods, before school, after school. Some schools have a schedule where you don't see the children once a week. You may see them once every six or seven days, which can really change things up. For all of these reasons and more, I decided to focus on the first four lessons, which should be approximately over the course of a month. A lot of this is going to just be a collection of random musings that I have, all relating to this. And I'm sure that they can all be used in some way, shape, or form to help anyone. So without further ado, let's just get into it. First off, I'm going to speak specifically about band instruments. And the reason I'm going to do that is because I've had a bulk of my experience, a major part of my experience has been with band instruments. Now this, you can absolutely apply this to string instruments where I've, I've also taught string instruments and you could even go a step further if a student was taking voice lessons or piano lessons, maybe outside of school and possibly even incorporate a little bit of this stuff in a little bit of a different way with chorus. But we're going to focus on band lessons here. So the first thing that's extremely important that you need to establish with kids is that this thing is expensive. 
Musical instruments are expensive and they're delicate. They can break very, very easily. This needs to be reinforced over and over and over and over and over and over and over. As a matter of fact, everything that I'm going to say in this episode, you need to reinforce it to the kids. With the short attention spans of today's children, they need it more than ever. They need to be educated. They need to be reminded in class constantly. Never ever assume that by saying it once or twice, they're going to remember it forever. They won't. By and large, they will almost never remember something you're going to tell them only one time. Repetition is key. Instrument cases. The best advice I can give you straight up They need to be opened on the floor, always. Don't let kids open up their cases on their laps. You are asking for all kinds of problems. As I like to joke around clarinet players, it's a great way to have plastic salad all over the floor because few things are worse than a clarinet case being opened accidentally upside down and every single content of the case hitting the floor. So you got about 12 different things, not just the five major parts that we're we're talking about with the clarinet. No, everything else is in there. The cork grease goes flying, the swab. It's a disaster. Things get broken, things get busted, children get, get upset. You try not to get upset. Make sure that every case is open on the floor. Yes, flute cases on the floor. Those parts bend. They break easily. Be sure to show the students how to open the case, that the latches always need to go up. Now, there are a few, sometimes cases that that are zippered. Maybe you need to actually write something on the case, or there's something that says, usually the top of the case usually as the the, uh, uh, the the name of the the brand will be on top of the case so if it's a zippered case remind them whatever the company is make sure that you see that the name of it and then you know that you're opening up it up correctly the worst thing we want is for instruments to be opened up and they're opening opened up up, upside down very very bad That's one of the big things that I stress in my classes, making sure the cases are open properly. Make sure that kids have everything labeled. Their name should be on everything. If they have drumsticks, make sure that their names are on the drumsticks. They can put tape on them. They can write their names directly on the sticks. If you're, you can, Get instrument tags from a local music company, that would be great. If not, strongly encourage that instrument tags are on the instruments. To that end, maybe you take out some masking tape, put it across, tell the child to write their own name on there. You don't have to do it for them, they're more than capable. It's a good opportunity to also ensure that they're not just writing Joe on the case. Make sure that Joe Smith is on there. And as I like to joke around with kids, don't write Joe Smith if it's not your name. 
these little things are big things. These are life skills that you're teaching the children. This has nothing to do with playing the instrument. And so many instructors spend almost no time on it. It's critically important. It's really important if these instruments are school instruments. You don't want your school instruments getting destroyed. So we need to teach children ways to be responsible, ways to keep these in tip-top shape. Everything should be labeled. Cases need to be opened up on the floor. The first thing that needs to be done on band instruments in terms of playing is you need to emphasize the importance of the sounds being made on mouthpieces. The, the strategy that I've used, which works extremely well, is you simply, because kids all know this, they, all, they know this terminology and it will make sense to them. Tell the kids that the mouthpiece that they're holding is like an iPhone. And the instrument, the rest of it, the body of the instrument is like a giant speaker. And your iPhone controls all the music. And let's assume that this iPhone doesn't have any way of being able to play sound. We can say that this speaker is an awesome speaker and it can amplify the music and make it really loud and make it sound amazing but it's not going to matter if what is coming out of the iPhone sounds like garbage we need to get really really nice sounds out of our iPhone we need to get nice sounds out of the mouthpieces your first four weeks every lesson they should be playing on their mouthpieces. You have to deal with the irritating smoke detector sound from a clarinet. And for all the other obvious reasons, you should be using this technique. The mouthpieces are everything. I will purposely, in initial lessons, it emphasized the importance of the mouthpiece and as, as well as uh, tonguing because nobody wants to hear at a concert. And I show kids this right away by lesson number four at the latest. I will do a really badly played Mary Had Little Lamb. Like really terrible. Like what we're all accustomed to hearing at the concerts. Why? Your, your kids don't need to sound like that. You need to show them how bad it sounds. They need to hear how bad it sounds. And you need to look at them and say, you don't need to sound that way. Here's what, you know, and then demonstrate it the appropriate way. And then say, which one do you like better? Well, you can do the correct way. So let's not get into these bad habits. And it's one of the reasons that I'm very, very proud to say this. If people say, wow, your elementary band sounds so great. I'm not, I'm, I'm not a miracle worker here. I'm not doing anything great. If you think that, that's very nice of you. I'm just doing what it's supposed to be, teaching kids the way that it's supposed to be done.
and that as a beginner they can sound awesome. Breathing. You need to talk about make, taking big breaths. Don't be satisfied with kids. And even, and I have to just jump on this point because I don't want to forget it. Don't give kids too much praise. You need to give them praise, especially the huge celebration, and make it a really, really big deal when a kid who's struggling gets that sound with a big smile so then they get happy and they feel really good about themselves. But you can't do that 17 times in a lesson. Kids need feedback. Now, you don't want to break their confidence and make them feel terrible. But at the same time, when the entire class is playing and everybody's taking a breath and the sound that you get is not good enough, they need to hear it. And not in a mean way. Say, oh, no, no, no. I, I know that you can make a better, you could, you could do better than that. I know that you could take a bigger breath. I know that you have it in you. I've had kids that have been 40 pounds before be able to make a huge sound on a euphonium, which is true, by the way. I say this stuff all the time to kids. Be honest with them. Be upfront with them. It doesn't matter what age they are. And for crying out loud, don't talk to them like they're a bunch of little kids. Always remember that they are young. 9, 10, 11, 12, 13 years old. You can always remember that and keep things in some ways in little kid type terms. But don't keep it in little kid music terminology. The lingo that you're speaking to them should be musical. Saying ridiculous things like follow the stick when they're playing. No, it's a baton. And I've seen many instructors talk to the kids as if they're five years old. Kids hate it. They don't like that at all. We need to make sure that they are enjoying themselves as kids, but I always tell them, I'm going to speak to you like you're young musicians. Within the first four lessons, children should be able to read notes. Whatever method it is that you, you choose. Children should absolutely need to know how to assemble their instruments properly. My goodness, why is this such a problem? Clarinets. Here's how it works with clarinets. Probably by about lesson number three, the entire clarinet should be assembled. I've had people that say, no, you should only do the top half. I disagree. I think the entire thing should be assembled. But right away, from the very beginning, you need to make sure that their hands are in the right place. And for heaven's sake, can you please make sure the right thumb is where it needs to be? The thumbnail of the right thumb should be directly under the thumb rest. Do not allow the kids to put the web the webbed part of their, their skin between the thumb and the first finger as a device to hold up the clarinet. Because once they do that at the beginning, they're never going to break the habit. And their right hand is going to be an epic disaster when they have to start playing notes as simple as low, B flat, or B on the instrument. And forget about playing anything that's lower than that 
and as well as things that are going to eventually go over the brake. If it means you have to get thumb rests for them, do it. I always pony up a little bit of money. And you know how important they feel when you give them this nice spongy thing to put under their uh, for their thumb? They think that they're the most important people in the world and you care about them so much. Because you do. The assembly of the instrument is everything. It is everything. I do challenges with in class and tell them not to rush. But part of the first lessons should be, as part of their homework, point blank should be, be able to assemble the clarinet in three minutes. And they have to do it at home. And they need to time themselves. And then by the next lesson, two minutes. And then maybe down the road, one and a half minutes. I think with beginners, I don't think it's reasonable to ask them to do it in less than one and a half minutes. I think they're trying to do it too quickly then. One and a half minutes is right around where you want to be. In 90 seconds, you should be able to get the clarinet together appropriately, as well as the reed. Speaking of reeds, with clarinets and with saxophones, reed inspection should be done constantly. Constantly. You should be checking those reeds. I've seen kids, oh yeah, my reed is fine. No, it isn't. The ligature's too tight, the ligature's too loose. The reed's too high, the reed is too low. The ligature's backwards. I've seen it all. The, the, the reed is destroyed. Huge chunks, like, like a beaver just attacked it. Critically important. With flutes, be sure that you put stickers on the keys of the flute. Now, flute players, I don't want to... <laughs> don't don't deluge me with, with feedback here and tell me how awful that is and how it's going to destroy the instrument. I get it. But those little stickers and find something that's cute that's going to make them happy. Let them pick out ones with jack-o'-lanterns on them or turkeys or little hearts or happy faces, whatever the case may be, and put the stickers on the instruments because when you're teaching once the class goes even beyond four flutes it can be a real challenge you need to make sure that their fingers are always in the right places you're always gonna have a few kids in the class that are putting their, their fingers in the wrong place and making sure that the fingers stay at home base they're not moving around uh, for instance, if they're playing a C on the flute, they go to play the D. A common thing that you'll see is they'll shift their left hand a little bit to the right. Next thing you know, you're looking. The second and third fingers are not down, but the first and second fingers are down. Where the second and third fingers are, should be, the third finger on the left hand is doing absolutely nothing. It's in midair. And that's common. With trumpets... Be sure that they're curling their fingers, that their fingers are curved on top of the keys. Not flat fingers. Flat fingers are always going to result in the, the valves being depressed in such a way that they're not going down straight. The child will be pushing from the side. Be sure that trumpet players are not grasping the 
instrument with their right hand like there's a, like they have a deformed claw in their right hands the palm of the hand should never be touching the lead pipe ever should not go anywhere near it insist on the thumb being under the lead pipe between the first and second valves and stay on them for it and oh my goodness the thing that drives me completely crazy please make sure that the pinky is not in the pinky holder it should never be in the pinky ring on the right hand ever and the simple reason for this is because it slows down the third finger I have an exercise I do with kids you can do this with all of the instruments just do it with anybody it doesn't matter but especially for trumpet players have them take all ten fingers and place them flat on their thighs flat there's there can't be any gap at all whatsoever they have to be completely every part of the finger has to be touching their leg and have them raise every single finger be careful I like to call the middle finger the second finger don't call it the middle finger it'll make them laugh they get silly just call it the second finger let them know yes it's okay to raise the second finger you're not gonna be mad at them but you go through each finger and you leave the ring finger for last and then try ask them to try to raise the ring finger as high as it can possibly go and they can't do it or they can move it very very little why because of the muscles in our fingers and the way that we were created there's just about nothing there in the ring finger and it's extremely difficult for them to raise it why because the ring finger depends on the pinky so that's the reason we don't want to put the pinky in there with the trombone be sure that children are not grabbing the slide for dear life with all of their fingers or almost like grabbing with the entire palm of their hands they should just be using their thumb and their first two fingers and the tips of the three of them almost I like to call it like a triangle that they're holding on to it third and fourth fingers not involved whatsoever and you need to explain why don't just tell them to do it tell them why with any instrument explain to them they're going to be able to extend a lot further they're going to be able to get the slide out a lot further especially for the kids that have really short arms little kids that's really important when it comes to French horns I think that we need to be careful not to be too anal in terms of how they're holding the French horn the fact that you have a French horn player there you should be very grateful because that's an instrument that can be tough to promote for so many different reasons not the least of which is it's very expensive when it comes to French horns I being a French horn player myself let them hold it however they can just so they can get a sound yes I know I'm gonna get French horn players say how dare you do such a thing well yeah and when you have a kid that's four foot three and they're holding the French horn good luck there's no kid size French horn and don't do B flat French horns just gonna cause all kinds of problems later on stick with the F horns if you happen to have a kid that has a French horn that's a double horn wonderful just don't do the trigger at the beginning that would be ridiculous certainly do the F side and then when it's appropriate 
I've had kids in their second year who've had double horns and are using the trigger. With saxophone players, they have to have their straps. They, they have to know how to adjust the straps. It's too many saxophone players that are asking me for help with their straps drives me crazy. They need to know, and that's part of their homework assignment at home, to adjust the strap and hold it in such a way so... Excuse me, adjust the strap in such a way so the instrument can support, can be supported and not be held up by the player. What a lot of kids will do is the strap will be too loose and the instrument's too low and then they start grabbing the saxophone trying to bring it up to their face. The cardinal rule is that the, the mouthpiece should be directly in front of their mouth without them even touching the instrument. Now with that, you need to caution them to be very careful because especially with little kids that have limited motor skills, they can easily jam it right into their eye or their nose. They have to be, you have to be careful, but they should never be lifting the saxophone up to them. Monitor those fingers, those hands, all the time on every single instrument. Insist on it. Be a pain in the neck, but be a nice pain in the neck. Letting them know that you're doing this for their own good. You're going to keep on pestering them to make sure that they're doing the right thing. I know this is a lot of information, and I'm sure that there you're going to have other questions. Please feel free to reach out to me at any time. Uh, there are lots of other things that I haven't included in this podcast episode that you can obviously hear I'm, I'm really passionate about. I just love teaching beginners and, and getting them excited. But most importantly, I love teaching them and doing things the right way. There's so many teachers that just don't get it. They just don't do this. And there's, these are such basic, simple things. And the last thing I'd like to just emphasize before I close out this episode, please be patient. Be really patient. Now, after four weeks, if kids are being lazy, you need to be tougher on them. You need to be tougher on them because they need to know this is not acceptable. If they're struggling badly with something. Now, if it's, it's a child whose special needs, or they have a 504 or an IEP, then that's a different situation. You may have to make appropriate accommodations or switch instruments. But please be patient with your, your young musicians. They wanted to do this for whatever reason. Not all of them are going to be great musicians, but my goodness, I have seen so many children struggle so, so mightily on instruments in their initial stages and then go on to be some of the best musicians in the program. Not necessarily by the overall quality of their play, but the quality of their character and what they brought to the program as a whole. Remember, your band can't just have outstanding talent in it at all times. The mediocre talent, and even some of the kids that might be on the lower ends, they round out the band. And that's what, that's what makes music programs very special. 
please feel free to reach out to me at any time with any of your questions, comments, concerns, anything else you need specifically about this particular area. It's one of my favorites, and I'm sure if you are don't feel like doing that, you can find a lot of information on the internet through YouTube and other uh, websites. And make sure to network with your friends. I'm sure that uh, you'll be able to get a lot of important insight as well. Thanks so much as always. Hope you enjoyed the episode.